From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Part of what makes Florida the everything school is consistent success across all sports over many years. And almost every program on campus has enjoyed multiple runs of glory in the last 30 years. The one team still battling to stake its claim is women's basketball. And despite the incredible adversity they've faced throughout the preseason and the campaign itself, they've become one of the more surprising stories of the year. On today's show, We'll be joined by FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter to discuss his trip to Billy Napier's hometown, the surging strength and remarkable resiliency of the women's basketball team, the former Gators grabbing national headlines in the NFL playoffs, and the raging debate over overtime rules in football in the PAT. Then, women's basketball interim coach Kelly Ray Finley joins us to share her coaching journey and how she's guided the program to success under enormously difficult circumstances. To get us underway, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan that loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where pet lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. This week's roundtable is starting on the road. Uh, we've got Gator Scott. Scott Carter is uh, is touring the northwest corner of Georgia for a story we'll talk about in one second. Uh, but obviously a lot to get to, Scott, so let, let, let's go right there. Um, you are on the road. It is not football season, but you're covering a football story. Tell us, what exactly are you doing in Chatsworth, Georgia? Well, for those uh, close followers of the Gators, they know that's Billy Napier's hometown. And uh, he, uh, he was born, believe it or not, in Cookville, Tennessee, but his dad, Bill Napier, uh, came down to Chatsworth High when I think Billy was two or three. And, uh, you know, Billy grew up all around what's called a pure Murray County. Uh, it's basically the, the Dalton, Georgia, the carpet capital of the world. Yes. For those out there who've traveled on I-75, they've seen the, those signs in those factories. Well, uh, Dalton is west of Chatsworth, which is over uh, about – I don't know, 15, 20 miles east off the interstate at the foot of Fort Mountain. And, uh, you know, it's just a little, little town and, but really nice people that uh, spent some time at Murray County High where Billy played quarterback, played for his dad, uh, the late Bill Napier. And, you know, just from talking to some folks, you know, who knew Bill Napier, who know Billy Napier and what he's, now at Florida trying to do with the Gators. Uh, you could tell that he's really respected here in his hometown. The whole Napier family has got to hang out with Kurt Napier, who recently returned to the area a few years ago. Uh, he is now a teacher and a, a coach at Murray County High. Also played quarterback at Murray County High, like his older brother, Billy. Billy's six years older than Kurt. So it's just a family story. I mean, you know, we're doing a piece on them for the start of a camp later on and just kind of reintroduced him on a, on a different level. Uh, but one thing is certain just from being up here and spending a little time is football is huge. 
to the family. It's been part of their life because of their father, uh, Bill Napier, who who passed away in 2017 from Lou Gehrig's disease. But before he got sick, Adam, he was a, a longtime coach in Murray County, uh, Murray County High first. He's their most successful coach in history. And then he went over – they like to call it up here across the river over to Dalton. That's a, you know, you know, when you know, it's a rivalry when they say, yeah, it's across the river, that school across <laughs> the river. That's how the locals. Yeah. So Dalton, uh, and then he ended his career coaching over there. And uh, of course he, he settled down and now he's got a son who's climbed the coaching ranks and is now going to, you know, try to lead the Florida Gators into a uh, back from uh, difficult times of late. And uh, so we came up here just to find out where he's from and, what this place is about. And uh, obviously Gator fans are still getting to know Billy Napier. And this is a chance for them to get to know him and some people who know him well on a more personal level. I'm curious to what degree he has become a, a folk hero. Uh, when you, you talk about going up and down I-75, I forgot where exactly it is in South Georgia, but at one point in South Georgia, uh, you pass Larry Walker Parkway, uh, because it's where Larry Walker is from. He's the pride and joy. Has Billy Napier gotten to the point yet where he is the pride and joy of Chatsworth, or is his profile still on the rise there because of his, his new job? Well, he, his profile is definitely on the rise. But it's funny you asked that because, you know, we were going into town and we were looking for that, you know, like a city sign, welcome to Chatsworth. Right, uh, right. And we're saying maybe. Maybe it's, I don't know if it's to the level of home of Billy Napier yet. I was joking. It, it's not yet. It, it just says, welcome to Chatsworth. One of those green signs with white letters. Yeah. So there's not, there's no, nothing about Billy Napier around town yet. Now his father's a different story. They recently at, it's called Murray Field, the home of the Murray County Indians, the school that, you know, Billy Napier played quarterback and his dad coached. Well, they recently, put up a plaque, uh, kind of like a bronze plaque of his father to symbolize, you know, his place as the school's all-time winningest coach and all the district titles that he won. And uh, so his dad is certainly a, a local figure of great respect from the community. Uh, and now I think Billy is the same, same way. I mean, you can just tell that the, the Napier family, everybody knows him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like uh, we bumped into a couple of people just saying why we were here. And right away, you say the Napier family, oh, Billy, great to see him down at Florida. We wish the, that family was so good and the best. And I mean, it's just we, we got that consistently. It became a joke. Everybody up here loves Billy Napier right. and his family. And uh, that, I think, is who he is. And if he does big things with the Gators, Adam, to get back to your your original question. I bet you they're going to add some kind of sign or something because this area of Georgia, it's good high school football, but it's not like Atlanta area and South Georgia where a lot of college players come from. They don't produce a lot of Division I players like the rest of the some of the lower part of the state. But they've had some players play D1, but I think Billy Napier right now is probably the biggest name to come from Murray County in a while. One person who wasn't there uh, was Billy Napier himself because he's busy on the recruiting trail. Uh, we've got just a week to go. Certainly, there's a lot of we keep hearing the activities. There's some this guy's decommitting, this guy's opening back up. There's going to be a lot to sort through uh, next week. But for now, 
the coaches crisscrossing the country, trying to lock things down and and keep that Florida class on the rise. So, of course, next week we will have the details on that. Uh, I want to turn our attention out to basketball, but not men's basketball in this in this second spot here. I want to talk about women's basketball, Scott. This is a story that has been gaining steam here for the last, I'd say, uh, two to three weeks. And, and I think it started when they beat Florida State, because that was something they hadn't done in a long time. Then they got a little bit of attention, and then they started winning some SEC games. Then they beat a top 25 team. And then this week, they beat LSU, a team right on the edge of the top 10. Uh, And and all of a sudden, a lot of people are looking at the Florida women's basketball team and what they're doing under interim coach Kelly Ray Finley and saying, wow, this is is maybe as impressive as anything that the program has done in in quite some time. I don't think there's any doubt about it, Adam. It is the, I mean... I was shocked, first of all, that they didn't get ranked after they beat number 11 LSU. And and, and not even close to – that's the crazy thing. They didn't even come close to getting ranked. No. I don't know how those so, votes work. Yeah, someone asked me leaving the arena the other night, well, they, you know, I think they got ranked. I said, well, of course they're going to get ranked. Yeah. It's no brainer. Not even a reason to have the rankings. But, of course, shows you how much I know. LSU only <laughs> dropped one spot to number 12, and the Gators don't crack it. But there's no doubt that they've won five in a row in the SEC – Longest winning streak in in conference uh, since 2009. That's 13 years ago. Mm. Uh, they've won 15 games already. That's more than they won all of last year already. Uh, they're five and two in the SEC. Uh, Kelly Ray Finley, she was named S or ESPN Coach of the the Week this week nationally because you know what you mentioned. People are starting to recognize mm-hmm. and pay attention to it. So. And, you know, they went on the road and, and beat Kentucky by 25 points, a yeah. team that was ranked. And then they come home against LSU and, you know, high-priced three-time national championship coach Kim Mulkey. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like, okay, they'll, they'll fall back to reality here. LSU will come in here 17-2 and two and take care of them. But I really liked the way the Gators fought throughout the game. And they led a lot of the game. LSU came back in the second half and, it took control, uh, but then there was a point where the Gators regained control and just, I mean, it was, a, it was that game could have gone either way, but the Gators made plays at the end. I mean, there was a, a, a big-time steal uh, by Nina Ricards, and then uh, Zippy Broughton had a couple of free throws and a basket down the stretch to seal the win. I thought um, Jordan Merritt played a great all-around game, and then, of course, Kiki Smith did her usual I think 23 points, eight rebounds, seven assists. It was really a team effort to beat LSU. And, you know, if you weren't already paying attention to them because of their recent run, I think now even more casual fans started tuning in. And I can guarantee you, I think I tweeted like an upset alert tweet right after the game. It's probably the most response I've ever gotten on a, a Gators women's basketball tweet. And, and, you know, there's some excitement there and, um, you, you got to give a, a lot of credit to Kelly Ray Friendly because it was a difficult situation that she stepped into. And then, Adam, let's not forget that they're doing this without the player that most people considered their best player to start yeah. the season in Lavender Briggs, who, you know, she announced uh, earlier this month that she had a an injury that was going to keep her out from the for the year. And they lost the first game after that announcement. And then a few days later, she announced that she's transferring to Maryland well, the Gators are 5-0 and since she announced yeah. she's transferring. So they haven't missed a beat without her. This is could, this looks like to be on paper or what we've seen so far as one of those <laughs> additions 
by subtraction. It, it mm-hmm. just seems like it's freed up some other players to maybe showcase their talent, help the team kind of uh, find itself, if you will. They're not having to maybe funnel a lot of stuff through Briggs that they were previously. And uh, whatever it is, I mean, you, I saw a team that was having fun, that played together. Quite frankly, I, I thought it was the – I mean, I've been to several women's basketball games in my time here. That was as enjoyable as a, as a good performance I've seen because they actually – they won that game at the end. LSU didn't lose it. The Gators won it. They, mm-hmm. they executed them and made some plays. Boy, and there's there's a lot of eyeballs, and that's obviously a great thing. It is worth noting their next game is on Sunday against South Carolina. They're the number one team in the country, and by all accounts, the difference between an LSU and a South Carolina is, is pretty significant. Um, South Carolina, I believe this week, beat Vanderbilt by 50 or 55 points. So it would still be a Herculean task uh, for Florida to beat South Carolina, but you know, there's not a lot of teams that are at that level. So if they can keep playing like this, there's a lot of teams the SEC they can beat, even if the Gamecocks are not among them. South Carolina did beat LSU. It was 66-60, so it was a relatively close score. And then, of course, Florida just beat LSU 73-72. So, you know, you can weigh this thing a lot of different ways. The transitive property. Yes, the way I weigh it is South Carolina, to me, looks like just head and shoulders above most of women's college basketball. But when you're a program like Florida and you've just been kind of uh, beaten down for a while Mm -hmm. and now you're showing signs of life. I mean, this is just a a new challenge that you want to embrace and go out there and lay it all out there and see what happens. And I know they're hoping to get more people into the O-Dome because there's some excitement building. And uh, it's just it's another challenge that they can grow from. And really, what better way? I mean, if you can go out there and give them a game or pull off the the miracle, either way, just go out there and, and try to play with the same energy and focus and toughness that they've been. And I think it, it, they can they can take something out of that positive. Well, I know you had a, a fan that asked you, are they going to be ranked? And you said yes, and, and you were wrong. I will make the prediction now, and I'll put everything <laughs> everything to my name behind it. If Florida beats South Carolina, they will crack the top twenty-five yes. next week. That is a guarantee. Yes, that is a guarantee. I, I feel I feel safe in in backing <laughs> up that statement. Adam. Thank you, thank you. I want to talk about some former Gators now, specifically the ones that are playing on Sunday, although also on Saturday in in the playoffs. Um, it was a big week for former Gators in the NFL playoffs, and the highest profile among them by far, Evan McPherson, <laughs> who has become one of the best kickers in the NFL in his rookie season. Uh, just all kinds of swagger, telling Joe Burrow, hey, we're going to the AFC Championship game right before you go out for a 52-yard field goal. Van Jefferson made some big plays in the Rams game. He's got a chance to get to the Super Bowl as well. Uh, as far as broadcasting the brand, Scott, this was a, a very good weekend for the Gators. Yeah, sure was. I mean, uh, Evan McPherson, what a year this guy's had. And I'm, I'll be the first one to say when after – I mean, he's he was a great kicker at Florida. I mean, he I think he's the leading all-time kicker in percentage-wise. Uh, I think he nipped Panayo's record. or hmm. He's right there in the top one yeah. or two. Bottom line is, he, you know, great leg, great kicker at Florida. A lot of people kind of – remember him most because you know he missed that field goal in the against fall LSU. against LSU yeah. 
which I think was it'd been a hell of a kick if he'd made it, but I think it was like 51, 52 yards, certainly with his range. But it went wide right, you know, that that whole night, that whole game. I mean, it, there's not much good. No, I mean, Gator fans do not look at that with fond memories. So that's just one of the little tidbits because uh, that kind of adds to that. But my point is, uh, you know, after the season, I'm thinking, okay, I mean, there's no, I didn't really know if he was going to go or not. I figured he might hang around for another year so mm-hmm. when he left i'm like well he's probably not gonna get drafted but then he gets drafted by the Bengals in the fifth round and now he's turned into he's got 11 field goals this season including the playoffs of 50 or more yards mm-hmm. how many other players in nfl history have ever done that you're gonna say probably one or two again like morton anderson maybe well, there, it, there's been one. His name is Devin McPherson. He's <laughs> he's he's got the most. It's his own category. The, yeah, he's got the most fifty yard or more field goals in one single season uh, by one player in NFL history. Eleven, and of course, the biggest one of late was that one against the the Titans and sends the Bengals into the AFC Championship game. And uh, man, and I think that was his. I want to say fourth walk off game winner of the year. He's had a bunch of them, yeah. Something like that. I mean, he's just been magical, man. He's he's. This is a guy the at UF. I mean, uh, you know, you always saw that he had a big leg. He also liked to play golf. He'd be over at Boston Golf Course every once in a while when I was over there. I'd see him over there playing golf or something. And uh, he's just a guy that making the most of his opportunity, man. I mean, I love the story that Joe Burrow shared. You know, mm-hmm. after that game, you know about the confidence that McPherson had before he went out on the field. And uh, I didn't see it coming, but good for Evan McPherson. What a year. And, of course, Van Jefferson, on the other hand, I knew this guy was going to be a, yeah. a standout receiver. I mean, he, we, I mean, how many times was his route running or hands written about or talked about during his two years at Florida? This guy was a polished receiver today. He stepped on campus. And, it's, and he's also one of my favorite guys. I mean, very, very just classy dude. Yeah. So – I always like Van Jefferson, and uh, it's great to see him shine on the big stage. And would it be pretty cool? Ram, oh, it would be Rams Bengals Super Bowl, couple of Gators, and of course, if the Chiefs make it, you got you got Tommy Townsend going back. That's and right. He had to hold. He had to hold on that big field goal the other yeah. night. Uh, you know, not quite the same as kicking it, but he's had a hell of a hell of a year punting the ball. So when you look at McPherson and Townsend. Again, he sometimes gets lost when they're at Florida or during the season because let's face it, it's a kicker and a punter. Mm-hmm. They're not on the field all the time. But you look back with what they've done in their short NFL career so far, that I think is pretty safe to say it might be the greatest tandem at kicker and punter the Gators have ever had those two years they had those guys together. Yeah, no, it's very true. And while we're talking about specialists, lest we forget Brandon Powell has been the primary punt and kick returner for the Rams, and he's broken off some some big returns as well. That's a guy who's he's taken kind of a long route to get to the NFL. Uh, and I even had to check. I was like, wait, is that the, is that the same Brandon Powell? But it is. Uh, it just took him a little while to yeah. find his niche. No, he's uh, had some moments at Florida, had some moments at Detroit. Now he's with the Rams getting the, again, shine, you know, shine when the stage is really bright. Uh, he's going to be known for a lot more than that. Remember that block he the made block. against Tennessee? Yep. And the Cowboy That was his catch. biggest play at, yeah. at Florida when they beat Tennessee, that block he threw. Took out two guys. Took out two guys and opened the lane and 
set off pandemonium there in the swamp. And uh, but he, he, you know, you're right. He he's always Brandon was always kind of a low key, quiet guy, mm-hmm. not a very flashy guy. I remember he talked about uh, what he did, you know, weekends when they didn't play or in the offseason. He he went he found the lake around Gainesville. He'd go fishing. I mean, he was just that kind of guy, but mm-hmm. very serious in his work. Uh, so it's pretty cool to to see him have some success. Yeah. Um, I, I want to stay with the NFL for a PAT. And it's no surprise what we're going to discuss here because it's pretty much been the raging debate around the sports world since Sunday. Uh, and that is the NFL overtime rules. These rules have always been flawed, in my opinion. It's been exposed a number of times in some of the biggest games. It was how the Super Bowl was decided when the Falcons lost, although I don't think you could blame that for why they lost. Uh, but in this instance, Scott... I think you can directly say that this rule, letting the coin toss essentially decide the game, may have happened on a level so high profile that change will come from it. Because I don't think there's any question that if Josh Allen gets the ball and the Bills win that toss, they're going to drive down and score two to win the game. It just so happens that the toss went the other way and you're robbed of seeing you know, one of the great young players in this league have a chance to continue the incredible show he'd been putting on. So uh, I, I guess the question is, how do you think the rule should change? I'm assuming you're on board that the rule is bad. So if you are, how would you change it? Well, you know, I've kind of waffled a little bit on this one, Adam, because I, I was like, I was like most people right in the aftermath of the game. I would have, obviously, I would have loved to see Josh Allen and get a chance and to see if the Bills could have won the game. But then I got to thinking about it deeper the last couple of days. And the NFL's smart. We're still talking about this. There's no <laughs> fo- We're still debating this like it's like, I don't know if it's like a Coke or Pepsi is better or something. I mean, this is like, you know, one of those hot topics that in the spirit of the game, yes, I would love to see what Josh Allen and the Bills could have done. But I, the, the but in the marketing genius that is the NFL, this is just a beautiful moment for it. Because I mean, let's face it, this isn't the first time this rule's been debated, right? Like this after a, a controversy, and it's not going to be the last. But it would be the last if they changed the rule. And then Josh Allen goes down. And, oh, it's great, man. And then the Chiefs score. They go back and forth. But eventually, there's going to be a winner, and there's no controversy here. There's a winner, and there is controversy. So I'm that playing a little. I'm playing a little catch twenty two here, obviously, yeah. just to be just to be contrarian. So here's what I think you have to do because they, they did. I saw a graphic. I I want to say it was of the last eleven games that have gone to overtime in the playoffs. Ten of yeah. the eleven were won by the team that won the toss. They drove down, they scored, that was the game. So you see that, you're like, oh, it's really, if it were maybe, you know, eight and three or maybe maybe a little bit more of of a case of the other team coming back, then you could say, okay, it's just just a, a fluke. But this obviously is not a fluke. This is pretty much what happens in the playoffs. The team that wins the toss is inherently going to go win the game. The easiest solution is probably some variation of what college has. But I think what you do is you say, okay, there's no extra points, right? So there's no extra points. If you win the toss, you get the ball, you have to go for two. And then regardless, the other team gets to answer. And then after that, if both teams score and make the two-point conversion, which would be your, I guess, worst case scenario, then from there, it's just sudden death. Until someone can't answer the score, then then we play on. Yeah. 
No, I mean, what you just said there, I think, is a very reasonable one. Would be a fair, fair rule. I, I'd be fine with that. I didn't, know, I didn't know about the ten out of eleven. I, that's kind of disturbing because you don't yes, want isn't it? that. That works. Yeah. Your uh, your contrarian thought is not. You well, feel a little, a little, a little well, badly you don't, about you it. Don't, don't you? want a coin toss. You know, you might as well. If that's the case, if it's that lopsided, you might as well. Okay, Josh Allen and and um, Patrick Mahomes. Let's, you guys arm wrestling. The, the one that wins gets the ball and see what happens. I mean, or let's, let's almost, do like rock paper scissors between the quarterbacks. Yeah, stuff you know? like that. So you know, you you want to make it. I think more equal, more fair than that. Because I mean, that was just a sensational game on so many levels. And I think the game favors offense now. Yeah. Uh, it more than it has ever in the NFL level. So if that's the case, you at least got to give both the chance. Right. Don't you? The argument that, Oh, the defense could get a stop. Like, sure they could, but that's not the way the yeah. game has evolved. That's no, not, that's not, not what the defense is there to do. The offense is there to lead the way and score yeah. a million points. I that's can how remember it works. when I was younger and watching the NFL, I mean, you go to an overtime game, and I, th- I think the mentality back then, okay, let's wait for the first team to make a mistake. So, you know, you might see the first drive of overtime, three runs, and then they punt to try to get field position, see if that team would mess up. And mm-hmm. now it's like you got Patrick Mahomes getting the ball with 13 seconds left and actually tying the game, and you got the Bucks pulling off that miraculous yeah. uh, situation. And then the Rams with what? A little time left, they say, okay, let's try to go win this game. Right. And then they, they just do. did the same thing. So, yeah. I mean, it's just a whole different mentality that is used now in the game. And the, I think that probably more than anything would, would lend me to say, yeah, you need to tweak that rule. That if it's going to be an offensive game like it is right now, that's where the rules favor. You got to change the rule that takes that away. Okay. So, on <laughs> so the I, came, whole, I came around. <laughs> You you support my proposed solution is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I support your, but I just like to say I I wanted to throw a contrarian yes. stance out there. NFL chatter never stops. Uh, so too does content on FloridaGators.com. Uh, obviously, Chris Harry continues to follow basketball on the road, so follow him for updates at Gators Chris. Check out his articles on FloridaGators.com. And Scott is tracking the women's basketball story among others, and also football. The staff is continuing to be filled out, and again in a week's time we will be able to talk about national signing days so make sure to to follow gators scott uh for those updates as well uh scott thank you so much we'll talk to you next week all right thanks adam when the sec coaches voted in the preseason poll the florida women were an afterthought picked to finish 11th in the league three months later the gators have won five in a row in conference play and upset multiple ranked teams in the process the latest of which was an LSU team hovering right around the top 10. As to why the Gators have overachieved to this degree, sitting in fourth place in the conference standings, the easiest answer is the steadying hand of interim coach Kelly Ray Finley, who joined us to discuss her coaching path and her approach to the many challenges this year has provided. I grew up in Minnesota. Uh, Most people don't know that about me. Uh, Far from here and a much different climate, that's for sure. (laughs) Uh, I am the oldest of four four kids. Wow. Um, I have a younger brother who uh, was a first-round draft pick in the NHL draft and played uh, for a number of years and has since retired. I have um, two younger sisters. My baby sister played at 
basketball, women's basketball at Harvard University hmm. and is now a sports psychologist. And she's tremendous at what she does. I'm very, very proud of her. And then I have another sister who is uh, has special needs and she is the apple of all of our eye. And um, I can credit her and my parents and my siblings for kind of the perspective that we all have and we all share on life and um, the gratitude that we have. Um, we understand and know that we have far more blessings and curses and um, it's just a good way to live. My, my mom and dad, my dad played football at the University of Minnesota. Hmm. My mom was a cheerleader there. So isn't that like the you know, <laughs> yeah. cute love story <laughs> right? Um, or, or something of that nature? And my dad was a high school basketball coach. He coached me growing up as well as my sister. And we were raised to do the best, you know, that we could. Uh, whatever we chose to do. So a lot of people would tell my dad, wow, you have a son who's six, nine, how does he not play basketball? <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, whatever we were passionate about, we were just asked to, to be all in or all out. And um, it's really shaped who I am and how I think and uh, where I am today, for sure. Hmm. So it sounds like obviously there was a, a serious athletic gene going through the, the family. But what let you settle on basketball? Because as you said, it could have been anything. I imagine you could have been good at a lot of different sports. Why was basketball the one that you became passionate about? We tried. Um, my parents put us in every sport. We were really fortunate. Uh, not everybody has the opportunity to do that. And I grew up watching my dad's basketball teams play. And my goodness, there was nothing more cool than being 10 years old and sitting on the bench. I think I looked back when I was home over COVID. Um, my mom had found a, a notebook that I wrote when I was in first grade. And it said I had written in there how much I love my baby sister and how proud I was to sit on the team bench and be the water girl for my dad's team. And it just made me reflect on I was taught at a really young age what it means to be a good teammate and how it felt really cool to be a part of something special. And so um, I just fell in love with basketball. I wanted to be like those big girls so, so badly. And um, I, I don't know, I just practiced and practiced and practiced and it was kind of just what we did. You've established where, where the passion came from. How did you then decide where you would pursue that, where you would continue playing basketball once you got to college? So when I was in high school, I played on a really talented team and we were always taught, you know, to find what our advantages were. Uh, I played with a really talented post player and we all went on to play division one collegiate basketball, which is very unique. Yeah. And um, I chose to attend Northwestern University in Chicago out of the Big Ten. At the time, the program wasn't uh, winning as much as they had wanted to. The coach that was there when I signed was not there when I got there, which was quite disappointing. Um, but I really believed in our ability to make things better. I think I've always been a person who the bigger the challenge, the more I'm attracted to it. Uh, which is both the good and the bad. <laughs> and um, I played there for a year and a half. I found a lot of success. Um, and I ultimately ended up having an injury that would keep me out of basketball for the most part, the rest of my career. Um, 
And so, but in that I transferred to Colorado state, I knew I wouldn't play professionally. I wanted to have the opportunity to play and I learned so much through that, um, transition. And I know that I'm a better coach because of the things that I went through during that time. And I, I ultimately learned how to be a tremendous teammate, like we had talked about earlier. And it was really fun. Uh, we had a lot of adversity, um, a lot of challenges, but all of those things I really believe have shaped me into the person that I am right now. So at what point does coaching come into the picture? Did you know throughout this path that that's where you wanted to be or did something just spark one day and, <laughs> and turned you onto that path? So the story about how I got into coaching is kind of interesting and I'll keep it short. Um, I had a coach that had recruited me out of high school. Her name was Kathy Delaney Smith. And ultimately when I decided on going to Northwestern, uh, she was the coach at Harvard university and she's actually in her final season there right now. Hmm. But I had reached out to her when I graduated. I wanted nothing to do with basketball. I was ready to pursue something different. Um, I think my passion outside of sport is working with special needs people. I think that it provides um, perspective and a service to, you know, when you can serve somebody who can do nothing in return for you, it's, it's quite rewarding. And mm -hmm. so that's what I thought I was going to do. That's what I studied in school. And for whatever reason, I was going to go out and watch my brother play ice hockey in Boston. Um, he played at the university of North Dakota and three final fours. And it was just an opportunity. I, you know, because we played the same season, we never really got to see each other play. Right. So I went out there and I, I happened to email Kathy and I never expected to hear a response from her. And, um, she emailed me right back. I just wanted to come watch practice. I read, had remembered how passionate and happy her alumni were and her student athletes were. And I, just wanted to get a taste of that. And, um, she emailed me right back and, and it was funny, Adam. She said, are you the Kelly Finley I recruited? And I was like, Oh gosh, do I say yes or no? I don't know. <laughs> and so I went out there and, and I met with her about two weeks before the season was to start. And I was so appreciative of her time because I knew how busy she was and she didn't have to do that. And she asked me how I had found out about the position. And I was like, uh, what position? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not here for a position. Right. And um, we had a lot of things in common. We, you know, we picked right back up where we had left off many years before. And she asked me if I would like to uh, be her volunteer assistant coach. And so I remember telling her, oh, I have to think about that. And as I pulled out of the parking lot, I called my dad and I was like, dad, Kathy wants me to coach with her, but it's volunteer and I don't get paid anything. So I have to figure it out. He said, great. Tell her you're staying. I'll ship you your stuff. Wow. And I was like, wait, 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 hold up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about this. And so that's, that's how I got into coaching and I've been in it ever since, but it was so rewarding. I nannied and worked for four different families during that time, hmm. worked full time for her. And it just reminded me everything that's right about sports. And so that's the story of how I got into coaching a little bit unconventional, but fun nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, the, I think that you buried the lead there. It also required you to then be a grad student at Harvard. Is that correct? <laughs> no. So I actually didn't take classes. Okay. Um, 
So the volunteer assistant position in the Ivy League is their third assistant position. And, um, you know, they can't guarantee you any compensation or anything but an opportunity. And that's, you know, the the best thing that you could have as a coach is an opportunity to learn. And I felt like she was one of the best in the business. And um, most of who I am now in coaching, I learned from her. What's interesting to me is that, I mean, you spent a number of years at Harvard, right? That's people hear that and it's like, oh man, Harvard. Um, they maybe think of Legally Blonde or I don't know, um, <laughs> or more likely Goodwill Hunting. But I'm just curious what being in that environment, how did that change you? Because I imagine that's, you know, from the outside, you look in, you say Harvard. I mean, it's just like, that's like the gold standard, right? So I'm curious how that affected you. That's a great question, Adam. I think that, oh, I have a lot of thoughts on it. Um, (laughs) It created a perspective for me that was that basketball and coaching uh, was about providing an experience and you're surrounded by competitors. I think that it's an environment that not most people um, would think. I think it's very, very diverse and it just allowed me to grow in how do you serve people? Uh, how do you learn to be loving and caring and kind and compassionate as a woman, as well as a fierce competitor in everything that you do, whether it's the classroom, whether it's on the court, whether it's in, you know, I don't know the board game that you play at night, you know, right, no, I don't right. know. Um, but, but it just taught me that you can be all things and it taught me that you can coach um, through understanding and when you seek to understand. And so it had always been my dream to do that at the highest level and see if it works. And it's really rewarding right now to be able to guide and lead in a way that nurtures the development of the person just as much as the player. (laughs) And um, that was probably the biggest thing that I learned at Harvard. and, And it really shaped my experience for sure. How many, if you had to guess, how many times has someone made a how about them apples joke to you? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think ever, actually. No one's ever made. Do they know that you were at Harvard? How is this pot? Have they not seen movies? I'm very confused now. (laughs) Yeah, it's more like, uh, can you park the car in Harvard Yard? (laughs) And if you've ever talked to Kathy, that Boston accent is quite strong. (laughs) (laughs) I will say one more thing about that, yeah. Adam, just my experience there and Kathy, um, you know, she had breast cancer during her time there. I wasn't there when that was the case, but to see the, the women that she was able to uh, influence and just the successes that they've had, whether it be as mothers, as CEOs of companies, of um, employees, you know, and different things. One of the things that she always said was act as if. And there's actually a documentary on her uh, that not many people know about, but Mm -hmm. it's about the statement of act as if. And I think I've really used that this year with our team in terms of I'm a firm believer that underneath every feeling there's a choice. And uh, that's kind of my spinoff of uh, act as if. And I think that that's a really good perspective to have. And it was really cool to learn that at a young age. Yeah. So what is what does that mean? Play that out for me, please. What is what does that mean? The way that that you view it. 
Yeah. So for me and, and my, you know, uh, interpretation of that with Kathy, it was, you know, and to hear her alumni speak about it is, you know, you get knocked down on the court, get up and go on to the next play. And we talk a lot right now about the next play speed, whether that's within a possession, um, whether that's uh, off the court, going from class to class, the next play is I have to, here's what I have to do next. And here's the approach that I'm going to have. And, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, if you train your mind, like you train your body, my goodness, will you be successful? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a firm believer in that. And it's not always going to result in wins, uh, but it's going to put you in a far better position, I believe. And so, yeah, Kathy's, Kathy's big thing was act as if, you know, and, and, I know she continued to work through that time when she had breast cancer and it was inspiring uh, to hear, you know, she was like, ah, well, act as if, act as mm-hmm. if I, um, you know, d- that didn't just happen or, or whatever, or acknowledge it and act as if, you know, this is the next thing I have to do. And so for me, it's, it's about acknowledging feelings and then recognizing that you have a choice underneath that feeling. And so I can feel tired. I can choose to come to work or I can choose not to, mm-hmm. I can feel, you know, disappointed and I can choose to be my best version of myself or I can choose not to. And, um, the accountability that comes with that, that I think is really positive and strong. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of my interpretation of those things. Yeah. That's interesting. So for people that don't know a lot about you, you've been at Florida now for five years, your first four, you were an assistant. And then over the summer, you end up being elevated to interim head coach. Now, you clearly have a, a lot of philosophies, a lot of ideas over the years that that you were you know excited to implement. But I'm just trying to go through my head. This is not a position you expected to be in. So when yeah. when this happens and you get that call, what comes next? Like, how did you take this really difficult situation and start turning it into an opportunity? I guess there was a feeling and then there was a choice, right? Right. Absolutely. And thank you for pointing that out, because there were a lot of feelings and emotions that came with that. Um, and in my head, it's, it's about doing the next right thing and do it the best that you can. And I knew that our staff could do a great job at providing a great experience for our student athletes. And it was really as simple as that. It wasn't about implementing, you know, a plan or those things. It was about embracing and being who we are. And uh, understanding that we are enough and, and really developing the mindset of our staff and our student athletes to feel a comfort level, to operate from that space um, and understand, again, who we are and how we do things and why we do things. And when you do things for each other and you serve each other, it will always work out the best, the, the, you know, it'll, it'll always work out, might not work out in everybody else's eyes. Um, but to the people who are, you know, in the arena every single day, it it will work out. Hmm. You know, externally, there were not a lot of expectations around this team preseason and given all the difficulties going on within the team, I imagine morale was pretty low. Maybe it wasn't. I'm, I'm curious, how did you go about instilling confidence and belief in this team at a time when it was probably easy for a lot of people to just write it off and say, We'll just get through it and and move on later. We've really done an exceptionally good job of focusing on each other. And I've been incredibly inspired by everybody in our group. 
and their ability to one, do the next right thing to um, give their best effort fearlessly every day. And um, I think that what you're seeing is a culmination of, of those things. And of course we want to win more games, but I think we've learned how to prepare. I think we've learned what hard work looks like. Um, hard, because you work hard doesn't always mean things will work out how you want them to. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes that means you have to work harder. And sometimes that means you'll get the promotion. Sometimes it means you won't, but that's life, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that we've done a really good job of being consistent in our preparation and uh, steady in who we are and, and what we're about. And I think that that's why it's showing. Of, of all the things that have happened that no one expected, then a few weeks ago, you lose one of your best players. She leaves midseason. I'm thinking in my head, you've been through so much. Maybe at a point, it's almost like, not that nothing matters, but when you've been through so much <laughs> adversity, I don't know, may, do, you, do you develop a, a thick enough skin to where something like that doesn't have the impact it would elsewhere because you've, you've had to be so resilient? I, I, again, I, I go back to choice and we all have choices, you know, and, and we want to empower our student athletes to, you know, believe in themselves and, and to do the next right thing. And so, you know, adapta- adaptation is, is, I, I just believe in, in it being a skill. And I'm looking at these notebooks in my office right now and, it, and on the binder, it says, be me with more skill. Right. And so we want to celebrate the uniqueness of each of our student athletes uh, within the context of the team. And I think that we're building our skills every single day and we're focused on that and we're focused on celebrating, you know, for and with each other. And um, when that's your focus, things become really fun. One thing that's happened that I'm, I'm sure that you know, you've really enjoyed and the team has is the attention that you guys have gotten as, as you've succeeded and done so well. What's it been like to have that support kind of building and growing around you within Gator Nation? Is that, is that what kind of impact has that had on, on the team? I think it's huge. I think that, you know, when you're um, trying to build something, it takes time. You know, it, uh, it takes time. It takes consistency. You're going to have highs and lows and to feel the support that our student athletes in our program are getting right now. Uh, leading up into two top five opponents is, is tremendous. And, and I think that it empowers them as a coach. It's everything that you want your student athletes to feel. It's what you hope for when you recruit them and um, ask them to, to come on this journey with us. And uh, it's been fun to see their joy and it's been fun to see their level of expectation rise within themselves and to not see that as pressure, but to see that as something that they've earned, you know, Zippy Broughton will say a lot. She says to our team, pressure is a privilege. And um, I think that that we've embraced that, but I don't think that there's pressure on us. I think that it's, it's exciting and it's fun and it's, and it's um, awesome to have the support of Gator Nation. And like I said the other day after the game, our hope is that we've made Gator Nation proud. And, um, and I think that we're on our way to doing that, you know, regardless of the wins and losses. 
Well, Kelly, we know that Gator Nation is rooting for you. They've been excited to watch your progress, and we thank you so much for, for sharing your story with us here today. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate your time. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.